I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. All right, gentlemen, we uh, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel here, I think. <laughs> or should it be? Ooh, you know I love a good false Pre- horn. Yeah, prepubescent trumpet noise. Mm. <laughs> or pu- it's more pubescent, I suppose. Well, until it become until it becomes a tuba, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> our uh, heraldic <laughs> announcement. Either way. <laughs> okay, Chris. Are we going to start recording now? No. We have, <laughs> this is podcast gold, Chris. All right. And so is your brain. All right. You're the, that whole five-minute uh, dialogue about talking about Dennis's mom, that's all going to be on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yo, good thing. I think my mom doesn't know how to use podcasts. <laughs> I don't know how to use a podcast. That's true enough. You kids and your podcasts. <laughs> I want to uh, say the Lord be with you, Chris. Yes? Why? That's the beginning of Eucharistic <laughs> Prayer 3. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to get to we're going to look at uh, Eucharistic prayer three as an example of uh, of one of the one of the Eucharistic prayers. And if you're uh, if you want to follow along, uh, so we're going to take the general instruction of the Roman Missal number seventy nine, because that gives uh, the different how many parts one two three four five six seven eight different parts that are common to each of the four Eucharistic prayers, right? So last time we talked about there are four principal Eucharistic prayers. Um, we didn't really mention, but there are also Eucharistic prayers for various needs and occasions and Eucharistic prayers for reconciliation and Eucharistic prayers for children. And so there's there's really quite quite a number. Are there Eucharistic um, prayers for inducting Cub Scouts into Cub Scouts? No. Oh, no. So that's another thing yet. we have to figure out how to do that someday. <laughs> yeah, well, why, you know, so for... Like we said last time, you know, there's 1,500, 1,600 years we had the Roman canon. That was the only Eucharistic prayer that we had. And, and you could switch parts to it, like a different preface, and you could have different parts of the prayer you could put in. And so that's kind of how it got to be, have some variation. But at the time of the council, um, you know, other Catholic churches and other traditions have numerous Eucharistic prayers or u- numerous anaphora. And at the time of the council, apparently, uh, there was some some displeasure among the scholars about the Roman canon or the first Eucharistic prayer. When are scholars not full of displeasure? Oh, this I is know, the real I question. Know. Well, apparently they, they, they didn't like some of its structure, right? They thought it was too messy. It wasn't very clear and very clean. It had just kind of things that they thought were globbed on or, you know, later accretions or things like that. And so it wasn't as as uh, uh, pure, there's a, right, there's a real desire for scouring away anything that was superfluous and kind of bringing it back to this pristine condition. What our recently deceased Father Bema told me that in the Eucharistic prayer one, Roman canon, mm-hmm. there's that line, we offer this, or they offer it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And the priest actually says that, it's in the Eucharistic prayer, said mm-hmm. he said out loud. He said that that was actually a rubric, but somehow in the transcription, the rubric became not Ruber and became instead. That text. is oh. really funny. Yeah. And wow. so you say they we offer this or they offer it for themselves, and mm. it, that's one of those kind of funny elements of history that you might say, well, why mess with the Roman canon? Well, 
They're actually trying to bring back the Roman canon, not get rid of the Roman canon, right? Yeah. Ideally, well, anyway. Oh, you're right. There's That's one of many examples, I think. You know, uh, we might not know this, not praying it, but there's there's all these times where the priest will say, through the same Christ our Lord, amen, at the at the end of a certain prayer. And, you know, d d does he say that? Does it, it's in brackets. It's in parentheses. Um, so, yeah, the, I, I've read this in a couple of different places that people compared the Roman canon to like you have this original house plan, but then you put on an addition over here or a wing over there or a garage over there, or a second floor over there. And then things don't kind of line up like they would on an original uh, building or something like that. So it's the brown paneling and orange shag carpet of the Roman missiles history. <laughs> well, well, see, now this is the. I mean, and there's other so-called so deficiencies, too, like the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the laudatory character, other things like this. Now, some people see that, and this is generally, it seems like, how they saw it at the time of the council as real deficiencies. Other people say, hey, man, that's this is a living thing, and it changes, Rome. just like the, the house where way. you live in. You know, uh, life isn't like this. And so these aren't um, shouldn't be considered defects so much as this is just how something has grown over the course of centuries. But again, the historians and you know others can debate about that. But this at least is what was going on at the time. Now, throw into the fact that the, now if this, if this would have been said, this being the Roman canon was said quietly and in Latin. Well, who cares? Because you're not going to hear this anyway. <laughs> but now imagine it's going to be in the vernacular and all of these, you know, uh, you know, all of these uh, uh, elements that were, were that, that many didn't like at the time were going to become much more obvious. And so around the time of the council, right after that, they thought, well, maybe we should introduce some other Eucharistic prayers like all of the other Catholic churches and traditions do. Right. So this is when they uh, uh, brought back this Roman canon or excuse me, the Eucharistic prayer too, from uh, Hippolytus, which apparently Hippolytus didn't write in Rome, which apparently wasn't written in Rome in the third century, which may or may not have been in the third century. This is what's called the apostolic traditions, which since the time of the council, there's a lot of doubt as to its authenticity. But this became the basis of the second Eucharistic prayer. But it had its, uh, you know, flaws as well. It didn't have a sanctus, for example. And so, Dennis, I think you made mention of this last time about uh, Louis Bouillet working uh, in a in a cafeteria on one of the Eucharistic. Oh no, prayers. a cafe, a coffee, cafe, a coffee, cafe, bar. coffee bar. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, uh, his memoirs talks about having to polish up and update and uh, clean up the second Eucharistic prayer. They had like a deadline of the next morning, so they stayed up all night drinking coffee and working on the yeah. second Eucharistic prayer. And, you, know, you could imagine if someone said, "Okay, liturgy guys, we need a Eucharistic prayer five. Come up with mm -hmm. something." Mm -hmm. not, even if they gave us a year, you'd say, "Well." What do we do? What's the character of this prayer? Do we have any mm -hmm. other versions from history that we can start with? Yeah. You know, the whole question of whether this is organic. How much coffee do you have? Well, mm. boy, you better have the coffee if you're going to do it overnight. But, um, you know, is this organic development because it starts with something from the tradition? Yeah. Or is it made up from scratch because it was made up from scratch? And I think it's uh, both and neither at the same time. Yeah, it's the third one, which we're going to look at. I, I've, I heard Father Fessio say this, that this also was worked on by... Uh, Father Louis Bouillet, and this was kind of a more Roman model, but it drew in elements from the Antiochian tradition and the Alexandrian tradition. So apostolic traditions, Eucharistic prayer too, wasn't from scratch, but apparently this third one was more of that uh, flavor. And I remember uh, him, Father Fessio, giving an interview. He knew Louis Bouillet 
uh, Father Fessio is from Ignatius Press. He knew uh, Louis Bouillet. And Bouillet would say, I never pray Eucharistic prayer number three. Why not? Well, because I helped write it. <laughs> he felt <laughs> Sounds too much odd. like me. He felt a little bit odd about uh, praying the prayer that he had such a hand in composing. And, uh, you know, I can certainly sympathize with him, but I don't know. Did, did St. Matthew not read his gospel because he wrote? I, it's, not, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Know. Somebody I, had to write this stuff once upon a time. Every now and then I pick up a writing, some article or chapter of a book I've written and I read it. And I'm like, this guy sounds like me. He's awesome. It's just like. I don't remember writing it, but it's like, this is exactly what I would say. No. And it's kind of nice. You know, someone, yeah. someone gets me finally. Oh, darn, it's me. <laughs> well, I found that too. You write enough after a while, you read something. I don't remember writing this at all. Anyway, so that's Eucharistic Prayer 3. And then Eucharistic Prayer 4, I think you mentioned, was from St. Basil. Uh, again, one of these Eastern uh, traditions. So this was the, and apparently there was a Eucharistic Prayer 5 that didn't make the cut. Wow. And uh, I gather that's because it was written by the liturgy guys. Uh, yeah. The, and uh, I guess you, uh, some bishops conferences were making up their own Eucharistic prayers. And there were a number of these things that Paul VI had to really put the uh, squash on. So anyway, this is how you got from the Roman in, in five minutes from the Roman canon to uh, the four Eucharistic prayers. So there are four principal Eucharistic prayers in uh, the Roman Missal. And at number 75 in, uh, in the germ, it lays out what it says, the main elements of each of them. And these are more or less discernible depending on which prayer you're looking at. In fact, it's, you know, try this sometime. Go to, go to number 79, find these points, and then get a hold of the Eucharistic prayer and try to identify those very points. This is what we're going to do for the third Eucharistic prayer, but it's, it's, it's not really an easy task, all right? Okay, so fellas, we're at number yes. 79. And uh, the first thing that it mentions is uh, at letter A, the thanksgiving expressed principally in the preface. All right. Now, let's back up just a little bit. What's Before the preface? The preface. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I thought I was going to do a cool etymology of preface, Dennis. Yeah. I thought the word would be uh, uh, like faco uh, facere feci factum, meaning to make. Watch and your so language, sir. To make before, before yeah, to make you make before. it. Yeah, that's not what it is, though. So. Uh, apparently, uh, the, the facio part, or it means to speak. So this ah. is the speaking before the speaking. Yeah. You know, the words before uh, the prayer. It's the prologue, it, the prologos. Right? In a certain way, yeah, yeah. But the first part is this preface dialogue. Okay, so this is where Dennis says, the Lord be with you, which he did at the beginning mm -hmm. of the podcast. And you say, and shut the, up. And the people say it with your spirit, right? So this is a common greeting uh, that appears in a number of places throughout the Mass. Uh, the next line is the sursum corda, mm -hmm. the lift up your hearts. And this, um, uh, I, I'm not entirely clear. So in the East, they call, in the West, we say Eucharistic prayer. In the East, they say anaphora which remember means to lift up or to carry back. And so the whole Eucharistic prayer uh, is an anaphora. But even this line, I wonder, is, is an especial anaphora because the priest is telling you to carry back your heart to the Lord. Okay. And uh, in some of the some of the texts I was reading in the book of Lamentations, uh, it says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And St. Paul says, set your mind on things that are above. And even in the, I guess, third century, this 
this uh, dialogue part about lifting up your hearts is already present. So this is a really ancient line. And again, I think one that despite the differences uh, between anaphora or anaphorae, whatever the plural is, in us is common to all of them, this dialogue about lifting the heart back up. Sometimes I think of this like, um, you know, when people are at St. Peter's and they want the Pope to bless things, they like hold up their rosaries and mm -hmm. see if hopefully it'll catch a few rays, you know, come shooting off his hand, so to speak. And uh, it's like, lift him up, lift him up. <laughs> There's your, uh, your soda fountain again, or your pop fountain, as you used to say. Um, it's like this divine energy of transformative power of God is it's coming down, right? Mm -hmm. Lift it up, meet it, run to meet mm -hmm. it. It's kind of like a... Run to meet the Lord invitation in some ways. Put mm -hmm. yourself there. Things on this altar are going to get zapped. Make sure yeah. you do it. Yeah, and that thing on the altar is going, it needs to be you, your mm -hmm. heart. <laughs> get your heart up on the altar. Capacity to love. Yeah. We're going to lift it up to the Lord, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be transformed. Uh, and so the third part of that then, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Right. So Eucharistia means thanks. And uh, it's right there. And this is, um, you know, in some ways, uh, it's hard to reconstruct as far as I'm concerned, is that the, the model of Jewish prayer, there'd be a blessing for Thanksgiving, right? Think about these, what's called the Barakah prayers we talked about a few podcasts ago. Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation. And then God is thanked for some intervention in the divine plan in salvation history. So the priest says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. Okay. And then, so that's the preface dialogue. Then we go to the preface itself. Okay. So if you go back to, I'll look at it. We'll look at it, some examples here. But back at number 79A, where it talks about the thanksgiving expressed, especially in the preface, in which the priest, in the name of the whole people of God, well, whole people glorifies God the Father and gives thanks to him for the whole work of salvation or some particular aspect of it. Okay, so after you have this dialogue, you have the actual preface text. So, Jesse, I know you're no, going to know the answer to this. So, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. What's this uh, figure of speech called of repetition? It's your favorite one. Uh, Anna Diplosis. Anna Diplosis. Anna, Anna Diplosis. Okay. How's Anna been? She's been so, which means to double up. So, all men who are ruined are ruined according to their natural propensities or whatever it is. When I give, I give myself. Says Walt Whitman. So, thanks to my ex-girlfriend Anna Diplosis. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. Okay, and so the preface text has three parts. The first is always the same, right? So before uh, the council, I guess there was maybe a dozen prefaces. And this is another thing that the reformers didn't like is it would just be the, the preface for the Trinity all the time, basically, right? And so you didn't, the, the Roman canon didn't highlight, you know, the, the, the particular aspect of the mystery that was being celebrated according to the liturgical year. Um, now, at present, there's like 80 different uh, prefaces, but each of them begins with this line. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God through Christ the Lord. Every preface begins like that. The second part is the reason for giving thanks and praise, right? So this is where the preface speaks, where the church tells those who are praying kind of the nature of the mystery, 
All right. So let me let me read one and you tell me from where uh, which part of the liturgical calendar this came. All right. For he assumed at his first coming the lowliness of human flesh and so fulfilled the design you formed long ago and opened us up for us the way to eternal salvation, that when he comes again in glory and majesty and all's at last made manifest, we who watch for that day may inherit the great promise in which we now dare to hope. When would you hear this preface? Easter? Sounds Christmassy to me. Uh, it's Christmassy. This is the very first one in the Missal. It's preface one for Advent. For he assumed at his first coming the lowliness of our human f- flesh. I thought that was just yeah, a, you could go either way, right? a nod to the beginning and that what we were hoping for. It had the eschatological condition in there, too. J- Jesse, save, save your answer for this one. Easter. He, ne- he never. That's right. Man. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Where's it. the bell? You nailed it. <laughs> he never ceases to offer himself for us but defends us and ever pleads our cause before you. He is the sacrificial victim who dies no more, the lamb once slain who lives forever. Okay, so that's preface three of Easter. Here's one more. For you, eternal shepherd, do not desert your flock, but through the blessed apostles, watch over it and protect it always so that it may be governed by those you have appointed shepherds to lead it in the name okay. of your son. That's got to be Pentecost, That's the preface right? for, for apostles. That's Common for apostles. apostles. Yeah, so if you were saying... Oh, oh like any any feast day for apostles. Yep. I was thinking all apostles getting... No, so Saints, uh, Saints uh, Philip and James was, was recent one. This would have been the preface that, that would have been used. The other thing that came to mind is Good Shepherd, because you're... Right. Flock and good shepherds. Right, Sunday, right. No, that'd be a good said. guess. Okay. But you see what this second part of the preface is doing is it's recounting some element of the plan of the mystery. Okay. And it's, 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 uh, I don't know, it's saying, making it more relevant is not the way to say this, but it's praying a certain mystery. It's celebrating mm-hmm. a certain mystery and it's trying to get you to join your heart to that mystery and return to God. So is the, General instruction saying that the preface is the Thanksgiving part, or is it saying the whole Eucharistic prayer is a Thanksgiving and this is just the beginning of it? It's saying the whole Eucharistic prayer is Thanksgiving, but this is the entry into that Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. Now, Thanksgiving is a funny thing, right? Because it means a holiday (laughs) for Turkey for us. It also means like, hey, here's a thank you card, you know. You know, I really appreciate you. Our, our prison minister is always good at saying, I appreciate you, I appreciate you, because so many people do good work here. Mm-hmm. But Thanksgiving is a little more than that, right? Thanksgiving and sacrifice, they always go together. So I think there was a model of the 1970s house church gathered around the table. Thanksgiving is just sitting there thanking God and doing whatever, you know, seemed like a, a secular Thanksgiving party. But in the Jewish tradition, the way you showed thanks for being saved or rescued was with a sacrifice. And so... Thanksgiving and sacrifice are never separated. Hmm. Is it? Okay, say that again. Was this a John Hani thing you're telling me about? No, just or? in general that, you know, whenever hmm. the Moses or whoever offered yeah. thank you to God, they offer sacrifice. When they get rescued from the Red Sea, they offer sacrifice. I mean, they sing the songs of gratitude and all that, but there's the sacrifices. It seems to be this uh, constituent element of Thanksgiving. I was trying to make a, uh, what's the etymology of Eucharist, Dennis? Do you know that? Well, you... I thought it'd be helpful. It's not really related to Thanksgiving, though, as far as I can tell. Keep talking. I'll look it up. I think it's uh, the E part is good. And isn't isn't it like charis? So good and beautiful? Good and delightful? No, like charitable, like love or something like that. 
Uh, let's it? see. It's from favor. Caris is favor or grace. So like someone who's charismatic is mm. graceful. So it is mm. you, which means well. And then mm -hmm. uh, Caris is favor or to have shown favor. So you shown favor well. Hmm. I guess it doesn't have anything to do with Thanksgiving. <laughs> maybe it well, it means both Thanksgiving and gratitude. Um, so, I have you know when we talked about various things, especially when we talked about music, and that my other second favorite book uh, on music and in voices and instruments in Christian worship by Jelano. He says Thanksgiving is always a sign of something being accomplished for you, right? So the Kyrie is always followed by the Gloria. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, I'm falling off the cliff of non-existence, and then you're rescued, and then you say, thank you for rescuing me, <laughs> you're great, right? So uh, these good words are always a response to having been rescued, and then you offer something as a sign of um, recognizing. Yeah, you might, you might make a sacrifice in Thanksgiving, so that the sacrifice itself is in the vein of being yeah. well, of all you know, thankful. <sighs> This would be a good podcast. Another good 10 part podcast is uh, types of sacrifice in the mm -hmm. old covenant. But one of, one of them uh, was the Thanksgiving sacrifice, too. Hmm. Yeah, we offer, as in thank you to God, we offer Christ to him. Right? And so he's the sacrifice, but it's also the Thanksgiving, and they're, they're the same thing. All right, so the third part of the preface text is this, uh, and so in, uh, in this instance, uh, and so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, with all the yes. hosts and powers of heaven, we sing a hymn yes. of glory, that and we acclaim. And so this unity of uh, heaven and earth together. My but, students all memorize these three words that I learned from Father uh, Monsignor Mannion. Eschatology, doxology. Holy, well, holy, too. holy. Oh. Eschatology, doxology, <laughs> and... Cosmology. Cosmology, right? So we're singing the praise of God, doxa, glory, with the angels and the saints eschatologically, as we say. So that holy, holy, holy is the song of heaven that's coming down to earth, and we get to sing it as well. And hopefully the way that they're singing it, rather than just coming up with a catchy tune, right? All right, well, hold that thought okay. just one second, because at least in how, how the... This is how the, the book is laid out. So the preface has that it is truly right and just. And then the second part is the why we are, why we give thanks. And the third is this unity of heaven and earth. Okay. So that's the preface text, but back to 79, this then Dennis is the, is the sanctus, the acclamation. So you have the preface dialogue, the preface text and the preface acclamation. So at 79, it says uh, the acclamation by which the whole congregation, Dennis's students yep. included, uh, joining with the heavenly powers, sings the Sanctus, holy, holy, holy. This acclamation, which constitutes part of the Eucharistic prayer itself, is pronounced by all the people with the priest. Mm -hmm. Dennis. Yes. Go back to uh, when you were teaching, uh, whatever that class is called, music, liturgical music, whatever. Music and Catholic liturgy will also be offered in the fall of 2022. Welcome. Come to Benedict. And so you, uh, you read Musicum Sacrum. Indeed. Okay, and in general, we say that the dialogues are kind of category one stuff for being sung. Right? Yeah, must for being sung. the uh, The ordinary of the mass is category two stuff to be sung. Yeah. Okay, and the hymns and whatnot are category three. Yeah. So, where does the sanctus fit? Um, category one, two, isn't or three. that uh, well? It's not part of the ordinary. Isn't that the ordinary? It's part of the Eucharistic prayer, it says, right here in the book. Yeah, yeah. See, I think that, uh, 
it seems like it would be a part of the ordinary. You got your Gloria, got your Kyrie, got your Creed, got your Memorial Acclamation, got the Lamb of God. What about this Holy Holy? Isn't that most like those things? It seems like it. It seems on the surface it is, but it's a category one piece of music to be sung. So it's not fitting in the second. Because we're in dialogue? No, it's not a dialogue, though. The Holy Holy is not a dialogue. It's a common acclamation. Yeah. And so even though it seems like, according to the paradigm of Musicum Sacrum, it is better placed in that middle one, number two, because it's a part of the Eucharistic prayer itself. It's back up into that hey, first You category. can win a bar bet this way. Do the lay people ever get to say any of the Eucharistic prayer? And I bet everybody would say no. <laughs> So is that true for any anything um, in the Eucharistic prayer should be sung as category one? Uh, I, I suppose the common acclamations. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the priest could sing the whole Eucharistic prayer, but I think any, I suppose anything within the Eucharistic, let's say like the, the great amen after the doxology or the memorial acclamations, do those, those are within the context of the Eucharistic prayer. I yeah. wonder where those fit. Anyway, I, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Awesome. That's what we like to hear, Jesse, is that after <laughs> the podcast is over, people are still thinking about it. Okay. All right. So let's go then to, uh, I want to look at Eucharistic prayer number three. Yes. Eucharistic yes, yes. prayer number three. All right. And so again, this is one that, what we say you could use on Sundays. Uh, it has a variable preface. It does not have a preface of its own. So you need to find a preface. See, number two has a preface that you can switch. Number four has a preface that you can't switch out. Number three and number one do not have a proper preface. You got to find one. And so the some of the sources I read say that number three is sort of like the it has it's very Roman in character because it has the preface that that's variable and it has a different it has some some of the different elements that can be switched in, but it has the kind of the best of the anaphora of the Eastern yeah, tradi tradition. Right. The Byzantine so, greatest hits. Pretty hot shot about it. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to look at number three. I don't know if you guys have it or not. You don't really oh, need to, but totally this is, uh, so you do the preface dialogue and the preface text, and then you do the sanctus, and this is the first words out of uh, the priest's mouth when he's praying this, okay? You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. See, this is, was one of the knocks by some on the Roman canon. It wasn't laudatory enough. Okay, so this has got a, it's kind of ramping up the praise. Is that a little anadiplosis moment there too? Because we just said, holy, holy, holy. You are indeed oh, holy. Dennis, Dennis, this is great. So uh, what this little introductory text, okay, uh, uh, you, you are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. Why? For through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. It's almost like a second preface mm -hmm. text, complete with antidiplosis, bam. And it gives a little reason why God is to be praised Okay, because uh, you give life to all things and you never cease to gather a people to yourself. See, in Eucharistic prayer one, there's a really long introduction. Okay? In Eucharistic prayer two, there's basically no introduction after the Sanctus. Eucharistic prayer two, what does it say? Um, I love the sound of ruffling pages. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there it is. It, it goes almost right into the epiclesis and the, uh, 
words of consecration. But this, the uh, they, the experts, <laughs> seem to like as a good sort of transition out of the Sanctus and into the Eucharistic prayer itself. And I'm just imagining the uh, Hobbit thing. What about second preface? Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty good. So uh, right. second breakfast, yeah, I, second no, preface. I, ding, ding, ding. I, I don't know where my bell is. But All right. Do you, uh, do you remember the discussion about east to west versus rising of the sun to its setting, Chris? I do a little bit. It's from uh, the prophet uh, Malachi, uh, chapter one, where he talks about from the rising of the sun to its setting. Uh, this, this is basically a quote from the prophet Malachi. And what does it mean? It means forever and ever and ever. I right? guess it means what it says. <laughs> yeah, in all times, in all places, there will be this constantly offering of a perfect sacrifice to God. And in the God. first translation, it said from east to west. Oh, that's right. It said from east to west. Instead of from the rising of the sun to setting, west. which I guess is the more formal translation. Mm -hmm. Didn't you guys talk about that in uh, Mystical Body, Mystical Voice? Yeah, I remember Father Martis used to do that. It's not about compass points. It's about uh, sort of universality. And this conveys kind of the, the message right. of And wherever you're saying mass, the sun is already always rising and setting somewhere. So from the rising mm -hmm. of the sun to its setting yeah. doesn't just mean yeah. from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And equinox, it means all the time mm -hmm. and everywhere in a poetic way. Why don't we do one more before we wrap up this particular podcast? Oh, the, the, uh, number 75. So then after the, uh, uh, the preface uh, and the, uh, the sanctus, letter C is what's called the epiclesis. Epiclesis. Do a little etymology Epi. here. Doesn't that mean okay. like uh, what? Called down or down or something? Uh, upon the epi, I think is upon like uh, your your epidermis is mm -hmm. the, I think it's related to that, and the kalein or klesis means what? To call. To call, yeah. So like, uh, the church is uh, what's the what's the the Greek word for church? Ekklesia. Ekklesis. It's a calling x mm. out. So it, uh, but an epiclesis is a calling down. Uh, in which, by means of particular invocations, vox voc vocation calling, the church implores the power of the Holy Spirit that the gifts offered by human hands may be consecrated, that is, become the body and blood of Christ, and that the unblemished sacrificial victim to be consumed in communion may be for the salvation of those who partake of it. And so um, there's really two epicleses that take place in the Eucharistic prayer. The first one is a calling down upon the gifts so that they be transformed. The second, and this usually, hap usually happens before the words of institution. See, in the Eastern churches, the epiclesis comes on the gifts, comes after the words of institution. But in the West, we put them before the words of institution. Yeah. Okay? More on that in a second. The second, Epiclesis is calling down upon you. So not only in the first one do these elements become the body and blood of Christ, but those who are offering the sacrifice and who will receive from the sacrifice will themselves become the body of Christ in the church. Yes, and you remember in our one of our Jean Hani uh, discussion episodes, my honeyitis, we're talking about the substitution, right? The substitution and the transfer in the Jewish tradition, the high priest or the priest would lay hands on the animal and the animal would substitute for him being sacrificed because he couldn't kill himself or he'd be dead, right? 
So you had to set, you had to um, call down the blessing first on the offering before mm. you offered it, so that it was you and no longer just an animal mm. or bread or whatever. And so the Holy Spirit put it in the realm of the sacred, and then, but it also stood in for you. So we can see how Christ as the true lamb would stand in for us. Mm. And so we have to offer those gifts to be put in the realm of the sacred okay. first and then offer them as sacrifice because then the sacred is being offered and not just the earthly, the two part hmm. thing there. Okay. Well, let's, let's see if we can find these in the third Eucharistic prayer. Yeah. So the first epiclesis uh, follows right from where we left off. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration that they may become the body and blood of our Lord, Je of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. Mm -hmm. Now, the second epiclesis then comes after the, the consecration of the elements. All right, so we're, we're going to go a little bit out of order here, but I think you'll recognize this text. Uh, let's see. Um, Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you. Mm -hmm. That I think, now I'll tell you this, you know, for all their, <laughs> all their bragging about how this is so obviously clear to everybody and their dog, you know, where these different parts are. <laughs> I, this is a little, it's not obvious to me, uh, but this seems to me what they have in mind by the second epiclesis, all right? But this power of the Spirit to transform. Now, as I said, in the East, they have the consecratory epiclesis after the words of consecration. See, in the West, what do we believe consecrates the elements? The, the, the words of institution. The words of institution, right? In the East, what affects the consecration? Attaching something to it? No, the epiclesis. Oh, yeah. The oh, yes, sir. Yeah, the that's epiclesis. what I was thinking. That's my, that yeah. was, I had my question yeah. ready. I was like, uh -huh. does that mean, oh, man, I'm yeah. so dumb. <laughs> no, this, this is hard stuff. I at so, least came up with that idea, and then I forgot that that's what I was thinking. So you, I, I think I've mentioned this uh, one, you know, at least in one podcast over the last six or seven years. There's this uh, uh, Eastern anaphora called uh, of Adai and Mari. Oh, yes. Yeah. As I recall, yeah. Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, Lynn Bouton loves that <laughs> Eucharistic prayer and thinks it's very authentic. Okay. Well, is it authentic? That's a joke, yeah. Um, okay. I think she's not a big okay, fan. Okay, well, what's, what's unique about it? It doesn't have an epiclesis or it doesn't have a consecration. It has something it doesn't missing. Have words, it doesn't have words of institution. That's what it is. Yeah. It has just an epiclesis, okay? So, uh, but what is the, what is the, uh, the ruling by uh, the magisterium? What does the church think? Is it, uh, authentic? Is it legit or not? Uh, I think so, right? Yeah. Don't the Copt Coptics use it or somebody uses it? No, it's the, um, uh, it's the uh, Syrians or East Syrians or Chalcedons. No, 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 the East, somewhere in the Syrian church. Uh, but yeah, and this was uh, clarified by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. I think when... Cardinal Ratzinger was its uh, prefect. It was a, you know, it had always been uh, accepted as a, as a valid form of consecration. Uh, they said that the words of institution are implicit in the text, and they are pretty implicit. Uh, but yeah, it's the power of this epiclesis that uh, that uh, uh, affects the the consecration. And so now in the in the, see in, in the Roman canon, 
the epiclesis was a little bit unclear. And what's kind of an interesting thing is we just we ordained some deacons recently, and we have the deacon practicum, and they're supposed to remove the pall from the chalice at the epiclesis. And so one of their assignments was to be able to identify the epiclesis in every one in each of the four Eucharistic prayers. Okay, yeah. So the priest will put his hands there, but before that, the pall is to be removed, and it's in the Roman canon that uh, uh, you know sixty years ago they weren't pleased with how uh, unclear. Or they didn't think it was clear enough, this epiclesis. Now tell me about ringing bells at the epiclesis because sometimes that happens, right? Yeah, it's weird. It's, I don't have whatever the number is. It's, it, it, it says uh, at the elevation of, at the consecration, but it doesn't say bells are rung at the epiclesis. What does it actually say in the germ, do you know? It's, I don't know. The wording is uh, a little before the consecration. Oh. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's all interpreted to mean at the at the epiclesis, right? Yeah. Be, because that was think, old altar boy training. It's like when you see yeah. the priest do the karate chop, ring the bell. <laughs> but I think you know what what we should take away from this is that it's the you know well the catechism will say this with along with the anamnesis, the epiclesis is at the heart of every sacramental celebration. It's it's this cooperation of son and spirit all the way throughout the economy of salvation, all the way throughout the sacrifice of Jesus and uh, at the Mass itself. So, anyway. Hey, I do have a question. Mm -hmm. Dennis, you talked um, in some classes before that, that we recorded for our online program about the difference in thinking between the East and the West as um, Platonic and Aristotelian. Mm -hmm. That is one of the classic distinctions. So, do you think that applies to this understanding of the epiclesis being the form as opposed to the the epic or the yeah, maybe what do you think chris like the last supper would be very much a christ did this and we're doing it again so please make this yeah happen. no i think as a westerners we're more interested in the historical exactness of things right um where uh, you know these very words you know, and I, you know, in fact, which very word is it? This is, is it? This is my, is it? This is my. But I mean, this is the type of very uh, kind of a quintessential Western type of debate that yeah. I think the we Easterners would not really. Here's a question: The priest says this <coughs> my body and has to cough. Is that legit? Uh, a scrupulous Westerner would go back and say him again, probably. Do but an Eastern, I think, would, you know, it's it's the power of the spirit, you know. And I Except think for the raisins. In the end, yeah. in the yeah, in the end, though, Jesse, I think you're right. It, it goes back to kind of a Plato versus Aristotle type of mentality, and we're mostly Aristotelians over here, whereas in the West, in the East, they're more uh, Platonic. So mm -hmm. anyway, hey, but why don't we? Uh, <laughs> This is going to take longer to discuss the Eucharistic prayer than actually say it. So maybe we should, maybe we should break. All right. Let's do another one of these. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Question. Question. We have a question? Yeah, we got to do a question. Sound more excited, Jesse. <laughs> we got to do a question. Yeah. I don't know it. why that came with an accent, yeah. but it did. So you deal with it. <laughs> We're going to do a question. <laughs> Yeehaw. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. 
Jesse, Jesse, do we have a question? We absolutely have a question. Oh my gosh, thank God Chris is here to answer it. Yeah, thank God Chris is here. Um, except for, I don't think Chris is the one that's going to know the answer to it. Well, I mean, I'm sure he'll know it, but this seems really more of a dentist question. Oh, let's go. All right. Bring it on. So this email comes from Suzanne. Suzanne says, hello, liturgy guys. Hi, Suzanne. Chris? Uh, oh. Hi, Suzanne. He's like the rudest co-host It's not my question. Ever. Yeah, so right. I'm not paying attention. <laughs> Su- yes. Suzanne says, hello, Liturgy guys. I'm really confused about the difference. I already said that. I know. Part. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll skip the hello, Liturgy guys. Other than Suzanne is confused. All right. What is Suzanne asking us, Jesse? <laughs> I'm really confused about the difference between an ambo and a lectern. At what time do you use which one and why? Well, well, well. Chris could answer this, but uh, he has to throw me a bone every so often. Okay, so an ambo, as we think of it in the Western Church, is a place from which the Gospels, the Scriptures are proclaimed and the homily is given. Exclusively. Now, well, generally, yes. I mean, you can proclaim the Gospels often, you know, use the Gospels in different places for different things permitted by the right. But generally speaking, the Gospel will be proclaimed at the ambo, the reading, first reading, second reading on on a Sunday or solemnity. The responsorial psalm most likely will come from there, although it doesn't have to. But the idea is the ambo is this vesting of the word. It's this architecturalization. I think in that article from Adoramos Bulletin a long time ago, Chris, somebody called it the launch platform for the world, which is sort of like rocketing the word Mm. out. So if you go into a Greek Orthodox church or an Eastern Rite church, they'll often call the ambo this little platform that comes out from the sanctuary in front of the holy doors. And that's because they would come out and make announcements there and do readings and stuff. So it depends what you're talking about. But in the Latin Rite Church, an ambo is the place for the proclamation and the discussion of Scripture. And a lectern would be something used for other things. I mean, you can hear the word lect in there, you know, like a lector. It's a a place for reading things. Or lectionary. Lectionary, but it's Mm. not a place Mm. for the reading Mm. of the gospel. So announcements Mm. might be from there, pancake suppers, open house at the Karsten's farm, you know, things like that that you want to see to the community. (laughs) Or the cantor might hold his or her music at a lectern um, if it's not the responsorial psalm. Interestingly, though, there was often no ambo before the council, as we've talked about before. It was one of these things that was in the early church for the proclamation hmm. of scripture in the vernacular of the people. And as that slowly diminished, you see ambos went away. And you don't see ambos in most churches built before the Second Vatican Council. They were starting to come back maybe in the 40s and 50s, 30s, in some very you know liturgically astute places. So then if you ever go to the National Shrine in Washington, D.C., Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, it actually has big ambos up in the wall, two of them, in fact. And the uh, cathedral in Washington, D.C. has a big one, even though it's an early uh, church. You might have seen pulpits. They were outside of the sanctuary, and that's where the priest would preach. And so an older church like St. John Kansas or one of these great big Chicago churches, the pulpit is outside the sanctuary, so the priest would take off the vestments sometimes and step out of the sanctuary to preach and then go back in because the gospel had been proclaimed from the altar. Could you use, so could you a, use a pulpit as an ambo now? People often do because they look the same and they sometimes serve the same function. I don't know if it's actually permitted. Maybe you know, Chris, to, to proclaim the gospel outside the sanctuary um, because you have an old pulpit in an old church that's outside the sanctuary. But um, it's, it looks like, an, for all intents and purposes, an ambo looks like a pulpit. But properly speaking, pulpits were places for preaching alone before there was proclamation of scripture from an ambo. Hmm. Hmm. 
Chris, did, so did you have anything you wanted to add to that? No. No, I think they what, what about the intercessory prayers or the universal prayers of the church? Are those because oh, yeah. that sometimes I've seen that read from the Ambo? Yeah, basically anything that's in the liturgy of the word. Okay. In the lit- yeah, so and so that would include the uh, the intercessions. Uh, other than that, like the exaltet would be one of those things that you could use the Ambo okay. for, even though it's not a part of the liturgy of the word. But yeah, if it's not a part of the Liturgy of the Word is generally not used. All right. Or shouldn't be. Suzanne, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God bless. God bless. God bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse, Y-O-Y-O-Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstalls become understalls when they hear us say it, we are the the Liturgy Liturgy Guys. Guys.